understand we've all felt stuck at one point or another, even the most successful people among us, because it's a rite of passage, a trial, to see if you have what it takes to be independent. The test is to prove that you deserve your destiny. Each week our goal is to bring you an inspiring story of someone who moved beyond their stranded face and found greatness on the other side. Welcome to The Stranded Podcast, and this is your host, Jessica Hurley. What's up, guys? Welcome to the very first episode of The Stranded Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Hurley, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today and joining me on this journey through this podcast. I really hope you guys get something valuable and just really learn that some of the worst times in our lives are meant to create the very best version of us. That's the very reason why I created this podcast. I found so many times in life where I was stuck or stranded. And when you're in that place, it's so easy to think that it's the end or you may be that way forever. It's like a chapter in a book and you can't see past it. And we have to learn how to get out of our stuck phase and how to press play when we're in that phase. And I've always thought it was so key because the only reason I was able to get out of those situations was because someone always reached back or somebody was always there to help me or talk me through it, you know, or give me options or opportunities because it's so hard to see outside of your bubble when you're in that situation. And so the reason that I created this podcast is I think everyone has a stuck phase and it's important that we all know that that phase or those times in our lives are the are the parts that make us the very best versions of ourselves and we really really have to embrace it. So, join me on this journey while I interview friends, experts, people that have some of the coolest most inspiring stories ever with the intent of listening and learning and embracing your stuck phase and knowing that there is truly greatness on the other side. And for that very reason, My first guest had to be none other than my childhood best friend. He is like a freak of nature, y'all. He is currently the youngest African-American male to run for U.S. Congress since 1871. So put that into perspective, it has to be an uphill battle. And growing up down the street from Rontel, I know he grew up with a single mother and his brother because he lost his father at a very young age due to violence. And in one of his speeches, he said something like, you know, stereotypes say that young black males without fathers that grow up in poor neighborhoods just simply aren't supposed to amount to much. And that just is not true. And I've watched him break every stereotype, every barrier and climb out on top. He continues to blow me away. And his story is so inspiring. I've been mentoring youth for a really long time. And I always tell my young boys, you have to hear the Ron Tell Beatty story. So to be be the person that gets to interview him today and give him a platform to share his story to you guys. I know it's going to get you. So without further ado, my childhood best friend, Rontel Beatty. All right. Thank you, Ron, so much for joining me on the Stranded Podcast. Jessica, thank you for having me. So happy to talk to you tonight. I'm really excited about this because I'm hoping just everybody hearing your story is going to be as inspiring to them as it is to me. I've known you for the last 15, 20 some years, and I know quite a bit about yep. your life story, but for our yes, guests, you do. <laughs> 
for our guests, right now you're currently a candidate for U.S. Congress, Florida's 5th District. You've got a whole lot going on. You have tons of accolades. What I want to know, you're 29, right? 29. 29 this past September. Did you always know that this was exactly what you wanted to do? And did you know exactly how you were going to get there? You know, honestly, I didn't know that I would be running for Congress probably until um, I was graduating college at 21. And I definitely didn't know that this is how I would be getting there until probably three or four months ago. I never thought I'd be running for Congress at 29. I always thought that um, it was something that I would do mid-40s. If you Google the average age of a member of Congress, it's 57 years old. The youngest African-American member of Congress is mid-40s. You don't really have 29-year-old African-Americans members of Congress nowadays. The last time the state of Florida elected someone my age to Congress who was a person of color, particularly African-American, it was 1871, 146 (laughs) years ago. So no, I never thought I would be here. And that means I cannot wait until November's election next year, correct? Well, yeah, yeah, November next year. This is a heavy Democratic seat, so uh, whoever comes out of that Democratic primary on August 28th of next year will go on to face the Republican challenger in November, but that Democrat is going to have an edge over the Republican because it is a, a majority Democratic seat. I am so excited for you, as I'm sure all of your fans and followers are. This is, like, super exciting, and not only is it exciting for you and the people that believe in you, but it, you're making history based on what you just said. Yeah, you know, it would be history. 146 years is a very long time. You know, I've been working in politics for close to a decade. You know, I've been working within a progressive movement for a very long time, and we fight for a lot of really good issues. You know, we fight to ensure that women have a seat at the table. We fight to ensure that, you know, you have religious freedom, that you're not discriminated against based upon the color of your skin or, you know, what God you pray to or what your sexual orientation is. But one area that we've constantly fallen short is ensuring that young people have a seat at the table. And that's why this election is so important. You know, I'm seeking to break a glass ceiling because there's so many young people across the country who have the tools and the desire to serve their communities, but they're constantly being told to wait your turn. And the overwhelming majority of them do wait their turn. But if you sit back and wait your turn while your communities are suffering, you look up and you're 50 years old before your first election, then your impact has dissipated. So that's why I'm running now at 29, and that's why I encourage other young people who have the desire and the ability to run, to run now. Right now. And that goes for anything. Anything that you want to do, get up and do it right now. Right now. The coolest part about what you're saying and about everything that you stand for, and if you are elected, some of the things that are going to be um, majorly important to you, is that me knowing you as a personal friend, I know that everything that you say that you are going to do, that you're going to do it. And I know that personally. (laughs) And it reminds me, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but it makes me want to share a personal story. I think I I spoke about this (laughs) at your graduation a couple of years ago. And um, I told everybody about when we were in high school and you wore a suit to school every day. And I'm talking about like a legit suit, like a button up, a tie, an iron jacket and slacks. And the worst part about the story that you don't like is that your shoes, either you had on dress shoes or you had on some dirty sneakers, but you didn't care. Usually usually dirty sneakers. (laughs) But you didn't care. And you stood out from everyone. Because nobody was wearing a suit at high school and certainly not in the African-American males where they were in suits. The school, yeah. 10th, 11th grade. And I specifically remember sitting in a lunchroom and people laughing at you when you yeah. and I were sitting yeah. together. And I think somebody yeah. said, bro, like, why are you always wearing a suit to school? And yeah. you specific, you proudly said, my grandmother always said to dress the way for the person that you want to be. And, you know, yeah, I'm going to be the president yeah. one day. 
just for the job you want, the job you deserve. In our community, uh, and I think this is consistent with so many communities across the country, uh, particularly African-American or communities of color, you know, you're taught that the only way out to a successful life is to play sports. You know, you got to get to the NFL, you got to get to the NBA. And I graduated high school at 138 pounds. So, I mean, I knew the NFL wasn't really in my future. It didn't take me too long to realize that, you know what, Rontel? I mean, you've never been the tallest either. Uh, You know, I've never been the tallest. You know, (laughs) I stopped growing at 5'10". I stopped growing at 5'10", and I stopped, you know, I graduated under 140 pounds. But I realized that I was gifted in so many other areas. I was in AP classes, and school came easy to me. And I realized that maybe my gifts to the world might not have been on a, a football field or a basketball court, but maybe I would be able to contribute in some other way. And I had people like you, other classmates that helped me to sort of realize, you know, Ron tell you care about people and you're smart. And um, we were surrounded by a lot of socioeconomic issues, you know, growing up on the west side of St. Augustine, seeing people living in poverty, seeing people without uh, running water, seeing people without light, seeing the parents of my friends and even my own mother working two or three jobs and still struggling to make ends meet. I think that's what brought me into public service, realizing that there are people that need strong advocates. And, you know, while I might not have been blessed with the gifts of, you know, becoming an NFL player, I was blessed with the ability to become a strong advocate for marginalized communities who need strong leadership. And I decided to go on that path. So, yeah, I wore suits to school because I wanted, you know, I, I didn't know um, I would be running for Congress one day, but I knew I wanted to lead my community. And I thought the best way to do that was to start wearing a suit. And I had to stop then. Now, at least I have a pair, you know, a good pair of dress shoes to match with the suit that I wear. I don't have to wear the dirty Air Force Ones that I wore back in 2005. But, yeah, you know, the principle remains the same. Everybody has their own gifts that are given to them at birth. I think one of the biggest struggles in life is figuring out what you were put here to do. And then after that, being obedient to your calling. Ooh, you got to get out of your own way. I love that because there's a purpose that we are supposed to live in and it's just getting out of your own way and knowing what you love and knowing how to take that. I remember a mentor that always told me that just keep doing what you love and eventually you'll get paid for it. You know, and it's just living in your purpose or whatever that is that you've been called to do. But for you, I think like, let's say I open the magazine tomorrow and I look at the title and it says 29-year-old African-American runs for Congress. Sounds amazing, right? Sounds totally untraditional, history making. But I personally know uh, a year ago, you were in Tampa, where I am, clueless about Mm -hmm. where you were going or what you were going to do. As successful as that sounds, the journey hasn't always been clear or you weren't always headed this way. What changed? Right. Life has an interesting way of telling you the the direction in which you should go. Um, I honor my gut. And when you're making decisions and whether it be on accepting a new job or going to a different school or maybe even deciding on whether you should date someone, your gut will always tell you the way in which you're supposed to go. And I've, over the years, I've been really good at honoring my gut. Two years ago, my gut told me to leave Washington, D.C., leave my job on Capitol Hill, move to Tampa, become national director of corporate partnerships at this really great nonprofit that served at-risk youth. I love young people. My story, my own personal story, is very similar to the young people that this organization serves. And I felt like 
thing as though my outcome was different. I had something that I could offer to this organization. So I was excited to leave D.C. and go down to Tampa and serve this organization. But, you know, less than eight months of being there, my gut started to tell me, Rontel, we have something else in store for you. This was actually preparation for something even bigger. We want you to serve these youth and, you know, uh, the communities like the ones you grew up in on an even bigger scale. So I ended up moving back to D.C., on a whim. It didn't make sense. I didn't understand it, but I knew that my gut, I prayed about it. I know some people are not as spiritual and, uh, and that's okay. But for me, I pray about things. I lean on to God's understanding and wisdom for my life and now my own. And everything said, go back to D.C., even though it didn't make sense. I mean, I took a slight pay cut to go back to D.C. I gave up a great apartment in Tampa to go back to D.C. You know, I did all these things to go back, and I didn't really understand why I was doing it at the time, but it didn't take long to realize that going back to D.C. is what was needed to sort of set me up for where I am now to run for Congress because my new job has surrounded me with so many great people that I consider to be very, very smarter than me, people that have enlightened me in so many different areas that have taught me about so many different issues that affect my community, that have uh, put me in a different circle of uh, people that allow me to enhance my skills and leadership and public policy, and that have ultimately led me to the point that I'm at today to run for Congress. So, yeah, I, I just follow my gut. And that's crazy. Some people would call that God. I know I would, you know, but yeah, it, but it is God. Have that. God, God, mm-hmm. God lived in my gut. You know, like I, I listen to Chance the Rapper, and I grew up on Bootsy, so I know a lot of it, it may be a lot of it may be shocking for a lot of people to hear that. You know, I grew up on Bootsy, but I listen to a lot of Chance the Rapper now, and he you know he says, you know, I speak to God in public, I speak to God in public, and I definitely speak to God in public. And guess what? God speaks to me in public, and uh, one of the and God speaks to people in so many different ways. For me, God speaks to me in dreams, and He also speaks to me in that feeling that I get in my gut. And you got to honor it. You got to honor it. However, whatever medium God chooses to communicate with you, you got to recognize it. You got to honor it. You got to have faith. Yep. So we talked about everything great. You spent eight months in Tampa. Fast forward to a year later, you're exactly where you want to be, back in your community, Mm -hmm. running for Congress, ready to serve. What are the naysayers saying about you? Uh, that, I mean, that sounds a lot of things. I mean, I'm running against a guy that's 70 years old. So the the very first thing, and like, and like I said before, the average member of Congress is 57 years old. And I think if you were to average the, you know, the African-American members, uh, the age is a little bit higher. So the first thing people are saying is, this guy's young. He's too young to be running. Right. But I feel like my youth is my strength. We're dealing with some issues that are requiring new ideas, new solutions new blood. The other thing is, you know, people are saying, well, Ron Hill, you know, you don't come from a political family dynasty. Your parents are not rich. You're essentially poor. You have a negative wealth. Is that in the eligibility you know, requirement? But but it's <laughs> not. You know, the the right. one of the Article one of the US Constitution says I you know, I have to be twenty five years old and be a resident. There's nothing about wealth. I'm 29, and, and, and while I may be poor, you know, my mother may have worked minimum wage jobs her whole life. My father may have been killed when I was two years old. While I may be poor, that has nothing to do with my ability to serve the constituents of this district. In fact, I think I think that it makes me an even stronger candidate because so many people within the community that I'm buying to serve. They have similar stories, similar upbringing, and that's why I feel like I, I could be the best advocate because when I go up and I talk about the need for increasing minimum wage, I can speak from a place of authenticity. 
I was working 65 hours a week in high school and so was my mom. And you can vouch for this because so yep. many of those nights you gave me rides home from CCC <laughs> or from legal entertainment. So it's like a lot of the things that naysayers say that are they consider to be negative, I turn them into positive. I think that these are the reasons why I should be running. We need more people that grew up poor in Congress. So that we can serve the poor populations. We need more people that grew up in single parent households. We need more people with mountains of student loan debt. I have $108,000 of student loan that I don't know how I'm going to pay off. Right. And that's a phenomenon that plagues the age demographic that you and I both live in that members of Congress can't relate to because they come to Congress yes. with no loan and some form of established wealth. That's why we need people like us in Congress who are affected by it from a place of authenticity and to come up with reasonable and common sense solutions to ensure that, uh, you know, we can get out of the date that we incurred, but also the next generation uh, won't have to go through the things that we went through uh, to ensure a better life for them and their children. I mean, that's the equivalent of uh, taking relationship advice from somebody that's single. As millennials, we've been screaming this forever. We want somebody that can take action that's been there before that's done that, not somebody screaming from the other side of the fence what they think they want you to do. Right. Their logic isn't doesn't go so far as somebody that lives through it. Makes you a better candidate for sure. What I would think you so. I do as well? So another question I have: We know why we know why you're running for sure. But like you said before, this wasn't always in the cards. A year ago, you didn't know that you were going to do this. Can you name a specific time or a specific moment, or maybe even what you were thinking? It actually made you take this leap because I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I've been talking about doing a podcast for a year now. It has taken so long for the simple fact that fear. I was scared to death of what people might think, my inabilities, you know, and it takes a huge leap. You have to have a real reflective moment where you finally say, that's it, I'm pressing play. What was that moment for you? Do you remember it when you finally said, that's it, I'm going to run for Congress. I don't care what anybody says. You know, I do. I was talking to a person that I, I look up to and a lot of people may know her. She's a former executive director of the Congressional Black Office. She's a CNN personality. She owns her own uh, political consulting firm. Her name is Angela Rye. And oh, I've yeah. looked up to her for years. I gave a speech a few years ago at the CBC Phoenix Awards Center. And apparently I had did so well to where she immediately cast me into a political light and said, you know, whenever you get ready to run, let me know. I would like to help or at least, you know, I support you in general as a person. I think that, you know, you're a good reflection of the community. You have what it takes to represent our people. And um, so here we are two years later, and I go to Angela, and, I, you know, I'm thinking about running for office. I know I'm kind of young, but feeling a real call to run in light of, you know, the Trump election and our people going through so many things. You know, I'm kind of reluctant to try right now because, you know, there's a, a member already in the seat. You know, I'm, I'm a young candidate. Everything I learned in my poli sci course tells you not to try this. She told me, she's like, Rontel, you are a um, a true servant of your community. You care about the people that you grew up with. You have taken the time to learn the ways of uh, Washington, the ways of the state of Florida. If you really want to run, if that's what you feel like God is calling you to do, then you should do it. She encouraged me to go home and pray about it. She told me, pray about it. Take the weekend, pray about it. She even gave me the names of some counselors to talk to about what I was going through. And I took all her advice to heart. I got some counseling around the subject. I did pray about it. And all the answers that I got from, you know, my counselors and from God and even from 
other forces. I took it a step further and started to talk to my boss about it at work. And then I talked to, to community and faith leaders in the district and, and in D.C. And all signs seem to have pointed to me running and running this year. My boss decided that uh, they would allow me to work remotely while I considered this run. Many pastors in, in the community told me that I was the kind of leadership that the next generation needed. Uh, many of my friends told me that, you know, Rontel, this has been a dream of yours for a while. We're so happy you, had to, you finally decided to do it. You represent us. We need you in D.C. as our voice. And at that point, I realized that I had nothing to lose and everything to gain on behalf of the people that I feel like I've been called first. So I really came from that conversation with Angela, who told me to pray, who told me to seek wise counsel. And that's what sort of steered me in this direction. And that's something that I hadn't always done before. I hadn't always prayed and sought counsel before making big decisions. But in this particular instance, you know, one of my mentors, Angela Rice, made me do that. And here I am. Isn't it crazy that these may be dreams and thoughts and ideas that we have forever, but until we decide to believe in ourselves, it's not until then that things start to fall into place. Right. Because I'm sure people have said years back, even when you were younger, that you'd probably make a great candidate. Right. But you were not ready to fully believe in yourself. Because oh, the irony is that, yeah, the moment that you decided that, okay, I think I'm going to move forward with this, it seemed like everything fell together. Yeah, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm still scared every day. I was scared leading up to it and things fell into place and I felt comfortable enough to step out and do it. And even after that, you know, every single day, I'm still met with some level of apprehension or fear that, hey, did you make the right decision, Rochelle? And every time I start questioning myself, something astronomical happens in the universe that reminds me that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. You know, whether it be in the form of a big monetary contribution to the campaign or whether it be in the form of a new endorsement or whether it be in the form of prominent elected official who reaches out and tells me, hey, Rontel, I appreciate what you're doing. We need young blood. I want to help you in any way I can. Every time I doubt myself, God and some reminder that I'm exactly where he wants me to be. And that's, and that's crucial. You know, once you step out on faith, there's going to be so many people, so many things that try to stop you. But the key is to focus on the positive and to recognize them when it comes in. It's a feed off of that. Don't feed off the negative. Feed off the positive because that's what's going to get you to the finish line. Exactly. I love that. I love when you get that little tug, that little nudge when you're having your worst day or you become doubtful because they say people really like 90% of their thoughts are negative and it's almost right. natural. It's in our subconscious. So right. all those negative thoughts and then I believe it's God. Some people may believe it's you know, divine intervention. But that day that you just get that little nudge that says, no, 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 this is exactly where I want you to be. This is exactly yep. what I want you to be doing. Keep going. You, um, you said something earlier. So I don't want to go too far left, but I do want you to be vulnerable about it, if willing, because I've prioritized myself on this podcast, uh, speak with people that are willing to be vulnerable so that those that are listening can take a piece of you and learn from it. And really, Absolutely. And you said something about counseling, counselors, mm-hmm. under Angela's opinion, but I personally know that you have gone to therapy before. Is that correct? Right. Right. You know, did it yeah, benefit you? It did in so many ways. I, I wouldn't be here without therapy. Right. I go to therapy. Um, I have a mentor that's always told me that it is a must. Whether you feel like you have a problem or not, it's just important to talk to someone with an unbiased opinion to let all of this stuff out. But for you, I've so often heard that, like, especially for African-American males, that it is like it's thought to be so weak and so unheard of for you guys to choose to go to therapy. What would you say to that? 
You know, your emotional health is just as important as any other part of your body. So many people, like, for instance, you know, I play football. If you break your ankle or you break your elbow, you break your arm, you crack your ribs, you uh, immediately go to the hospital and you seek care and you go through whatever medical regimen your doctor uh, recommends because you know that, you know, you got to heal in order to get back to your normal life. Emotional health is different in that you can't always see what's broken. You can only feel it. But that doesn't make it any less important. When you feel that something is broken, it's important that you go seek help because it needs to heal in order for you to function as a normal human being. And you also don't want it to heal wrong because that affects you, you know, moving forward as an adult. So for me... Um, there, there's been so many traumatic experiences that I had that uh, society tried to normalize because of how I grew up. My father was killed in a drive-by when I was young. And, you know, apparently he didn't have a high school education. And my mother grew up minimum wage. And I grew up on a block with a bunch of drug dealers every day trying to get me to join their ranks and, and sell drugs. But I didn't. And I um, attended schools where um, the funding for these particular schools were not up to par. And I spent a lot of time in my adolescent years being bullied or finding myself in meaningless fights. And while you talk to most people in the communities in which I grew up in, they would say, well, that's just life. That's normal. It's not normal. All these things, and I've seen people die before. I've seen people get shot in front of me, fall to the concrete, and lose their life. And while so many people are saying, well, that's just life, you know, and, and they glorify it. And, you know, that that's just the way it is. That's not the way it is. All of this has an effect on your emotional and your mental health. It has a direct impact on how you go about your life. It affects your goals. It affects your drive. It affects your relationships. It affects, you know, how you interact with your family. And, you know, it's important that we stop normalizing these types of experiences and ensure that people who do come in contact with these types of things, you know, have the counseling and the uh, support they need to acknowledge it, one, and then two, move past. You know, but the biggest thing, I think, is definitely acknowledging it because so many people want to say that you have to just deal with it. Pray it off, baby. Or Or it made you you who you are. Yeah, it made you who you are. Be tough. Be strong don't be weak. No, like one of the greatest things a man can do, in my opinion, is cry. And even Jay-Z recently said that. But, you know, in a community in which I grew up in, you're tough. If you cry, you're, you know, you're soft or you're weak and men shouldn't do that. But I think that we're all human and it's important that we learn to regulate our emotions because it does affect who we ultimately become. And ever since I've gone to counseling, I've been able to understand this on a much deeper level, learning to regulate these emotions and learning to deal with the things that I've seen over the course of my life acknowledge them for what they are and uh, move past them has helped me insurmountably. I don't think I could have ever made it to D.C., become a policy advisor or get a master's or get a bachelor's or run congressional programs or definitely not run for Congress had I not sought therapy to understand some of the traumatic events that I've experienced over my life and then chart a course to deal with it. I encourage so many other people, particularly young brothers, to take a step back to realize that if someone tells you that you're soft or you're weak for showing emotion, that they don't have your best interest, they're not telling the truth, and that you should indeed seek counseling uh, for things, you know, that make you feel some type of way internally. You know, it's okay to acknowledge your emotions. 
and you don't have to have a problem. People think you, you have don't. to have a problem to go to therapy. You don't have to have a problem. You don't have to have a problem. Therapy is good with regulating, you know, your emotions. I know a lot of people who live what many would perceive to be normal lives who go to therapy just to to learn tools and and practice ways to deal with. Oh, my gosh. Everyday life pressures, you know, like when you get out to the real world, you know, you deal with things on your job. You deal with things raising kids or in your relationship or at your church or on your son's football team that you may not always know how to deal with on the front end, but, you know, therapy can really help you to understand why you, you do know, the how, things you do, why you do the things you do and then how to, how to better handle the issues that life throws at you on a daily, which I'm planned for. Yep. I, I love when I get the question from people. It's, first of all, if I tell people I go to therapy, cause I'm openly and honest about it, everybody knows I'm an open book. And I say I go to therapy. First of all, they flinch. They try very hard not to make a crazy face. And then one of the often questions I get is, um, did it fix you? Did it change you? I always think that's not what therapy is. It, it helps you see who you are because what's the hardest thing for us, right? It's to look in the mirror. And so it helps you see who you are from an unbiased person. It helps you realize that something that you're doing that's directly correlated with something from your past and then to be able to acknowledge it and not have the same reaction that you typically have. To be able to know exactly when it's happening and move forward. So I love that you shared that. That's super difficult for most people to even acknowledge that they go to therapy. So I appreciate you being honest and open about that one. I have one last question for you. This is probably going to be my favorite. It's that if we went back to high school, back to 16, 17-year-old Ron Beatty in a suit, what one thing at 29, if you could run into him, what would you tell the old Ron You know, I would probably say that be open. The life that you have planned for yourself is nothing compared to what God has planned for you if you are willing to recognize the signs, willing to appreciate the people he has placed in your life and in your path, and uh, spend every single day trying to seek his faith and your calling for this world. Because I knew that I was called to do something in high school, but I didn't really know what it was. The journey of sort of trying to figure out what this was. You know, uh, I guess one thing I didn't really get to talk about here is the fact that I spent a lot of time in church over the years, you know, growing up in in college and even now. I'm a very spiritual person, and I believe wholeheartedly that God has called us all to do something great. So, you know, if I can go back and tell my younger self or tell any young man, it is to continually seek God's face, pray, ask what your purpose is, and really just open your eyes uh, to the sign that he's placed around you in the people and the things and the opportunities. And even when things don't make sense, don't be afraid to go against what's popular. If you know that your gut is telling you to go a different way, always honor your gut because I feel like God speaks to us through our gut. And uh, that's what I would tell my younger self. Because while I feel like I've stayed on the path for the most part, there have been certain times where I took a left, where I maybe should have took a right. Sometimes I believe that's on purpose. I think those zigzags are meant to to get us back to where we need to be. Yeah, and it gives us a testimony. It makes us relatable because nobody is perfect. So when you're talking to a person that's made mistakes, that's wondering whether there's still hope for them, you can tell them from a place of authenticity, yes, there's still hope because I made mistakes, I was not perfect, and here I am. And I think that's what makes us all so, so special. Yeah, that's what they say is that if, if you think you know where you're going or what you're supposed to do, you know, humble yourself and get out of the way because the plan is always so much bigger than you. Right. And yours is huge. 
the impact that you're going to have, you know, whether, and I don't mean to say this this way, but if, you know, whether you're elected or not, the buck does not stop there. So I know the impact that you're going to have on your community, on the 5th District, and everywhere else that you put your footprint is going to be amazing. And it's all because of your testimony, what you've been through, your understanding for the people that you serve, you know, and your compassion. You know, I believe that too. No matter what the outcome is, I know that this is a part of a process that is so big and so great that I can't understand. Of course, I want to win. I hope I win. I think I will win. But even if I don't, I know that it's all a part of some greater plan, and I'm fine with that. Well, really quick before we jump off, and thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate it jumping on and sharing this because I tell everybody I speak with, um, any young adults that I mentor, I joke and say, I got to tell you the Rontel baby story. You know, the (laughs) something story is always important. I mean, you can go from Uh, cutting grass to running for Congress. It works, trust me. But I got to plug you, rontelbaby.org, correct? Yes, rontelbaby.org, O-R-G. You can donate, you can check him out, you can see what he stands for, what his plans are. He's definitely somebody you want to support and advocate for. And again, I appreciate your time so, so much. Thank you. I appreciate you, Ms. Hurley. And uh, I think that your podcast is uh, going to touch a lot of lives. I think it's going to better a lot of lives. And I'm happy to be one of the first people to grace it. Yay! <laughs> I appreciate it, and that's my purpose. That's all I want is I want someone to listen to this, hear your story, and press play when yes. things don't make sense. Press play, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sir. Have a good night. It's always a pleasure talking to you. All right, thank you too. Bye. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of the Stranded Podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded phase is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.